Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. One of the most interesting franchises in football history the last 60 years has got to be the Buffalo Bills franchise. From the AFL to some championships to some low points and some gut-punching moments you wouldn't wish upon your worst enemy. The story of the Buffalo Bills has been captured in a recent book by Bud Bailey and Greg Tranter, and they join us in this episode to tell us all about Bills history in their new book, The Buffalo Bills Timeline, coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And gosh, we have a great episode today. We're going to be talking uh, again about the Buffalo Bills. Uh, We just talked about them a couple days ago with Del Reed, and we're going to get into their history today of the franchise. We have a great book out uh, by two authors uh, that are friends of mine. And the title of the book is The Buffalo Bills, an illustrated timeline of storied team. I'd like to welcome in Greg Tranter and Bud Bailey. Welcome to the pig pen. Hey, thanks, Darren. Thank you, Darren. It's great to be here. Uh, gentlemen, you uh, have this t- the title of an illustrated timeline of storied team. And I told you before we came on, I it didn't really appreciate that title when I saw the cover of the book. When I sat down later and opened it up, it's exactly what it says. It's a timeline of uh, bills in chronological order, their whole history, all the way up to, to recent times. Uh, great job on that. And uh, how, how did the uh, concept of this uh, come about, Greg? Well, it, um, the, the, the design of the book actually came from the publisher. So Reedy, Reedy Press had actually reached out to an author friend of both of ours, uh, Jeff Miller, who you know. Um, Jeff didn't have time to do the book, so he called Bud, or he told Reedy to to call Bud, and they did, and then Bud engaged with me um, so the two of us could work together on it. Uh, but the the design of the book, the layout, um, we were we were kind of put into the structure. It's 176 pages. It's about short stories of the most important moments in Bill's history. So there's 141 short stories that are between 150 words and 500 words. Um, and each of them is illustrated with a photograph or multiple photographs uh, to kind of bring each of the stories uh, to light. Um, so we followed their model, um, but we were able, we had all the flexibility we wanted pretty much to pick the stories. 
Yeah, very, very well done. Now, Bud, we haven't had you on the show before, and we, like we like to do with our listeners is let them know a little bit about uh, you know who we're talking to. So maybe if you could give us a a brief background of of you know what what you do to get you to the point of writing a, a book on a National Football League team. Let's see how much time we got. Oh, as much as I want. Okay. <laughs> um, my relationship with football started in the early '60s. We lived in Wayne, New Jersey, and a friend of my father's moved out of town and didn't want to give up his, his New York Giants season tickets completely because he thought he might move back. But he gave them to us on, to, as a loan in 1962 and 63 when the Giants won the Eastern Division both years. And then so we so we went all the time as a family, various combinations of people went. And then the guy moved back to New Jersey and we had to give up the tickets, which no no member of the Bailey family ever forgave him for that. In 65, we moved to Elmira, not knowing that uh, just down the road from uh, there in upstate New York was Greg Tranner, and would team up years and years later. And then uh, that was my first exposure to Buffalo sports because Buff Elmira had cable TV and got Channel 4 WBEN. And who's the sportscaster there at the time? Van Miller, fresh off describing one M AFL title in 1965, and he's going to do another one. And then uh, as fate worked out, we moved to Buffalo in 1970. And uh, of course, you moved to Buffalo as a teenager, as I did. I was 14 when we got here. And there's a guy named O.J. Simpson and, a, and an NFL team, which was not in Elmira, believe me. And uh, anybody becomes a fan of O.J. Simpson and the Bills in that circumstance, even though the Bills took a while to get good. And uh, here we are. 53 years later, I'm in Buffalo. I went to Syracuse and have stayed in, in the sports business in various configurations. I worked for 23 years of the Buffalo News before retiring six years ago. And uh, now I've been uh, doing all sorts of projects in retirement, quote unquote. And one of them is watching over three books, which are coming out this year. The Bills were the first one and a couple more to go. So I'm waiting for the goofing off part of retirement, but uh, it's been a lot of fun to do this stuff. Yeah, it sounds like maybe you're doing more writing now in retirement than you did uh, prior to that. <laughs> different, different sort of work, and more and better. You know, there's there's only so much you can say about a uh, a boys soccer class D game in Ellicottville. <laughs> well, that's a that's a great story, and uh, definitely some great credentials to to help you uh, write a book here with a, a guy that has no needs no introductions. Been on here a bunch of times with Greg Tranter, with uh, you know having all this experience of football history. So. How did uh, Greg? How did you guys go about writing it? Having a uh, you know two people writing about the same subject? Did you take turns between the the hundred and forty one, or sort of split it down the middle, or how, how did that whole workout thing work out? Yeah, it was it was really uh, kind of interesting. We really started with trying to identify um, are we aligned around the stories, um, and so we both made up a long list of what were the stories that we thought belonged in the book. And believe it or not, they were almost 100% aligned. Um, you know, with maybe Bud had four or five I, I wasn't thinking about, and I might have had four or five he wasn't thinking about. Um, and then, um, and 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 then what we did was we didn't really divide them up. We just started writing where our energy went. And so I was writing stories I liked, and he was writing stories he liked but we were trading them back and forth. So I'd write a story, he'd edit it and review it. I'd, he'd write a story and I would do the same thing. Um, and so it worked out, you know, really, um, you know, really well. 
And there weren't actually many stories that we had any kind of like fundamental disagreement about. Um, it was really interesting. I think part of that was because we've lived almost all of this. There's very few stories that we haven't experienced in some way, shape or form before this book came about. Darren, if I could jump in on that. One of the funny things about this book was we knew how many pages it was going to be. It was 176 pages. We didn't know when the season was going to end and we knew it was going to probably going to be a good season, but we didn't know how long the bills were going to be playing. And the catch was this, the book's manuscript was due essentially when the bill season was over because they wanted to get it out as soon as possible. So we had to write enough stories so that if the bills missed the playoffs, uh, we would still be okay in terms of filling the 176 pages. But if the Bills had gone on to win the Super Bowl, uh, we would have had to add a couple pages for an AFC championship game, three or four pages on a Super Bowl, and two or three or four pages more on a parade, of course, because you got to have pictures of the parade if you're selling a commemorative book like that. So we had to have stories that were done but never seen. So we wrote extra stories. I think we wound up with 12 extra ones that – uh, we still didn't use, even though the bill season was relatively uh, long, but not as long as it could have been. It had to, it was so we wound up taking some stories and uh, throwing them in the uh, the basket. And I've been publishing them on a website called Buffalo Sports Page um, just to get them out there because I hate to see anything wasted. But today, for example, we had a story on the uh, Bills' last game in the American Football League in 1969. And I think they lost like 48 to six or something, some some horrible scores. It's certainly not the way to go out from a Buffalo standpoint. So um, it was kind of funny how we just, you know, wrote and wrote and wrote and all right, this will work out somehow. And you'd rather have too much than too little. So it was already predetermined which articles were going to hit the, the cutting room floor should the Bills keep going on in the playoffs. Did you guys have, we had an idea? Yeah, order? Right. Okay. And the, I, I should add the publisher had a, is a few two cents to, to throw in as well about certain things. The whammy weenie story didn't make the book, unfortunately. Oh, <laughs> uh, I think Greg shared that story with us. Uh, with one of the it's in the Relics book, there. yes. Yeah, in the, in relics, the relics, right. Book. right. <laughs> now, Greg, uh, there has been some great eras that you guys covered of Buffalo Bills history. Uh, you know, starting in the AFL in the 60s, it had, you know, the the OJ years, of course, the great 90s years and, uh, you know, and today, you know, some great teams today and a lot of in between. Is there one particular era of the Bills that you were sort of drawn to when writing this book? Well, I mean, I think that um, because I was a kid at the time and 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 even the the alumni will tell you it's the only two championships the Bills have won. <laughs> We're 64 and 65. Um, I, you know, so I, I think I was drawn, uh, you know, to those stories. You know, I love Jack Kemp. I was, of course, an eight, nine, 10 year old when they were when they were winning those. So it was, you know, very, um, you know, uh, open in my mind right then and there, you know, it really happened. And, uh, you know, you're a kid and it's, it's bigger than life. Um, and, and, and I thought that the bills did some remarkable things then, you know, they went 17 games without allowing a rushing touchdown when that's how you scored touchdowns in those days. Uh, you know, they had the first uh, soccer style kicker in NFL history. They had a punter that really created the coffin corner and Paul McGuire 
Um, you know, they had Cookie Gilchrist, who, you know, Larry Felzer, who's a renowned Hall of Famer um, writer, claimed was the, you know, was better than Jim Brown. Um, you know, so it was, you know, quite, quite the team. Um, and just disappointed in looking back that they never had a chance to compete against the NFL, you know, in Super Bowls in, at the end of those two seasons. But I'll put the same question to you. Are you in agreement with Greg about that era, or was there a particular era or team that uh, you really enjoyed uh, writing about the most? It's funny, Darren, because I tend to approach these things more like a journalist than Greg, who's more of a fan, even though we, we kind of overlap in, in some areas. But to me, like obviously the Super Bowl years in the early 90s were incredibly exciting for, for Buffalo football and a high point because I don't think anyone's ever going to make four straight Super Bowls again, at least in my lifetime. So uh, what I liked about the format is we had a chance to explore other areas besides those obvious ones, because pick up a book on Bill's history. Yeah, you're going to read about wide right and the comeback game against the Oilers and so forth. But since we had small, medium and large stories, uh, we could put in other areas and and some of them are silly and some of them are, are about the bad times. And those are interesting as well, just because uh, it's not easy to win in the NFL. And sometimes things just fall apart. And for whatever reason, and uh, certain developments happen out of those games. And it's always an ongoing story in the NFL. And I think that's what people might like about this book, the fact that any everybody remembers those Super Bowls and can recite them, but uh, some of the coaching changes and and Greg Williams and and the trade for Sammy Watkins or go on down the list. There's a there's a lot of things that were crucial in the way the Bills uh, turned out, but uh, aren't that well known now just because the team wasn't winning and people weren't paying as close attention. You guys definitely uh, snuck some really good little stories in some of these things that things that I I didn't know or wasn't aware of or had forgotten, and we'll get to some of those here in a moment. But first, I want to I want to ask a question and sort of air a beef I had about the the book. Now I'm from Western Pennsylvania, so I'm a Steelers fan. I I think I counted you had uh, three times where you mentioned uh, you know these these victories over the Steelers. I think you had more than you had over the Dolphins uh, in the, in New England. If I, if my count is right, does if we had listed all the Steelers wins over the Bills <laughs> in, in games, it would have had to have been a three hundred page book because traditionally they'd go down to Pittsburgh on Monday night and get clobbered. Jim Kelly would go there trying to over you know show off his abilities to the old fans and and the, and the Steelers would just destroy them. Kelly would wind up, you know, six for 24 with four interceptions or whatever it is. It was, there were an awful lot of mismatches there. So I wouldn't complain too much about those three little wins. No, I'm, I'm joking. Of course. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it, especially, you know, I, I grew up in the seventies and, and loved that, that team, you know, just like you guys love your bills teams. And, uh, but just to even here in a loss when you guys had, uh, I think the title was like the day they shredded the, the, steel curtain or something that was a title and uh, just looking back i'm like oh yeah i remember that when oj had that big day and and he just brought back some fond memories and not so fond memories in that case but uh you know, a great job on that now greg this question is for you now you i found myself reading the book and i read it and then i went back and the pages i kept going back to were those AFL teams. Maybe it's because it's the most ones I'm not most familiar with. I don't remember the AFL. I was a little too young or not born when, when they were at. And, but uh, you know, some of those, you know, the cookie Gilchrist uh, stories and, uh, 
But one in particular that really caught my eye uh, was the the Bills' first coach. And maybe you could speak on uh, on Buster Ramsey a little bit for us. Yeah, well, of course, as 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 I think you know, and many of your listeners will know, um, you know, Ralph Wilson was a part owner of the of the Lions before he um, invested in the Bills, and in fact. He and his father were season ticket holders of the Lions going all the way back to the mid-1930s. Um, so he had been a Lions fan for a long, long time. So he brought um, blue and silver, the colors of the Lions, to Buffalo. He also brought the Lions defensive coordinator, Buster Ramsey, who becomes the head coach of the Bills. He was the Lions defensive coordinator. And, of course, they won some championships in the late 50s um, You know, with Ramsey on the, on the staff. Uh, so I think Ralph was quite pleased that he could get a coach of that magnitude to come to the AFL and to, you know, to lead his franchise. And of course, you know, back in those days, Ramsey was one of those, you know, kind of like Vince Lombardi. It's my way or the highway, you know, very emotional, screaming, hollering type of coach. Um, and of course, you know, he only lasted the first two years of the franchise because, um, he couldn't really put an offensive team together. Um, th- their defenses weren't bad in those first couple of years, but they had trouble finding a quarterback um, and therefore had trouble, you know, even back then winning, winning games without, you know, without a quarterback that was, was very good. Uh, but it was a good way to start the franchise. And, you know, obviously Lou Saban coming, you know, changes the fortunes of the, uh, of the team. But, uh, but, you know, Buster was number one. Uh, but question for you now, going back to that same era, you know, we talked about Cookie Gilchrist a little bit. Now, I I never watched him play. What kind of a runner was Cookie Gilchrist? Well, getting back to Larry Felzer, who I worked with for many years at the Buffalo News, he said that Cookie Gilchrist could have played any position on the field. He even kicked extra points at times for the Bills. About six three, two forty, and he just ran you over. Not too subtle, but. Uh, extremely powerful man and just uh, similar to, I guess, Jim Brown in that sense, a guy who who could just take over a game. Uh, He came with some baggage. He was uh, quite a personality and remained so right until the day he died. But, uh, but boy, what a, what a package. And uh, he only, what did he stay here about three years, Greg? What was it? Yeah. Yeah, They just, I got a little tired of, of working with him, but uh, it was three good years. And he, he's in the Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame, Greater Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame, uh, on those three years, which is pretty unusual for a guy to have such a short stay. But he was such a legend that uh, he was voted in. I mean, he even Darren, he even had a car that on the side of it said, looky, looky, here comes Cookie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that, that's pretty good. <laughs> you, you know who's coming then, don't you? Now, Greg, one of the subjects that you cover in there is the AFL-NFL merger. And the Bills, of course, were started off in the AFL. And uh, how how was that received in Buffalo, uh, becoming a National Football League franchise from uh, being in the AFL? Well, I mean, it was, it was almost like dying and going to heaven because B- Buffalo had tried to get in the NFL a number of times, um, really going all the way back to when um, War Memorial Stadium was built back in the late 30s. In fact, one of the interesting things is most people don't know that um, Buffalo hosted more neutral site NFL games than any stadium in NFL history, 27 games, um, where they hosted 
preseason games and even seven regular season games, all with the idea of, geez, if we if we host games, um, maybe we'll get a franchise. And they were promised multiple times by the NFL that they would get into the NFL and and never did. Um, and then, of course, you know, when the AFL comes, you know, many leagues had failed before that Buffalo had a franchise in. So, you know, what's the likelihood the AFL is going to succeed? And of course, until they signed the TV contract, which we also cover in the book, until they signed the TV contract in 64, the, the league is on shaky financial footing. And Ralph Wilson helped, you know, keep two teams afloat by loaning them money. Um, to make sure that the AFL had an eight-team league. So um, so when the merger happens, it's like, oh, my God, Buffalo, we're in the we're a major league now. We're a major league city. We have an, an NFL team. It's like, wow, that's almost too hard to believe. Darren, let me just jump in. One story, I'm not sure if it's in the book, but uh, Lamar Hunt, noted rich guy, for lack of a better word, and really the guy who had the idea of the AFL in the first place, went to the NFL and said, I'm interested in an expansion team and was told by the commissioner, Burt Bell, that if there's going to be an expansion, the first team will go to Buffalo. And so Hunt got kind of upset and walked out of the room and said, well, I'll just start my own league, darn it, and and <laughs> did. And Buffalo wound up getting a team because Wilson uh, couldn't get a team in Miami, couldn't get the rights to the Orange Bowl, and was told Buffalo would be receptive, and and here we are. Wow. Okay. I, I wasn't aware of that story. That's great. Greg, I got a question for you. All right. Out of all the coaches that you had over Buffalo Bills history, and you covered, I think, all of them in, in the book, which one was the most anticipated when, when it was hired? Which one brought the most excitement to the Buffalo fandom? Of and You have some great oh, selections. I, I, don't, I, I think without question, it would be Chuck Knox, because um, if you think about it, um, Ralph Wilson never hired big name coaches. Marv Levy wasn't a big name coach when he hired him. Uh, Sean McDermott wasn't a big name coach. Lou Saban wasn't a big name coach. He had failed in Boston. Um, so he had never, in fact, it's one of the criticisms of his ownership in that he wouldn't invest big money in coaches. The only time he did was Chuck Knox. And Chuck Knox was coming off, what was it, five or six consecutive Western division championships, you know, Western division titles, his criticism was, you know, the owner didn't like it because he thought they were too conservative and they didn't get to a Super Bowl. but they were, the Rams were consistently winners the entire time he was there. In fact, everywhere Knox went, he won, he won in Seattle and he came to Buffalo and won. And so the anticipation when he was hired was, Oh my God, we're, we're going to get good. And we did. I mean, he was hired in 1978, and two years later, we win our first Eastern Division crown in the NFL. Because when we joined in 1970, we had not won an AFC East Division title until 1980 with Chuck Knox. Um, and so that was by far, I think, the most anticipated coach hiring. All right, but I got a similar question for you. I'm going to start it off, though. Probably, I'd have to guess, O.J. Simpson was probably the most anticipated player coming in, probably raise the excitement yeah. so simpson or kelly so okay but i guess maybe that's going to answer my question i was going to ask you what uh, other player besides oj would would be that and you think is jim kelly yeah i think so just because the bills were just so irrelevant in the mid 80s um after knox left uh k stevenson came in and that didn't really work and the front office was in turmoil and 
they are obviously going nowhere fast. And uh, one of the key moments in Bill history was when Bill Polian was hired as general manager to replace Terry Bledsoe. And Polian was a good, maybe great, probably great, um, had a great eye out for talent. And he built up the team and he also picked the right coach with Marv Levy. And uh, they signed Jim Kelly, who had been lost to the USFL a few years before that and had come free when that league folded. And that was really a huge acquisition. And, and you talk about excitement. This is a guy who landed at the Buffalo airport and drove down the Kensington Expressway to a news conference uh, downtown. And there were people hanging out with signs on the bridges over the highway, waving and honking horns and and all that other things just to see Kelly in town. I mean, talk, you know, no pressure, Jim, just just <laughs> save the whole franchise here. So uh, it was a similar story with OJ because OJ, is, as as Greg has pointed out, uh, it was considered maybe the greatest college football player of all time when he, once he got done at USC after the 1968 season. And for him to come to Buffalo was an amazing turn of events that that someone like that playing at War Memorial Stadium, which even then wasn't exactly beautiful. And it, you can imagine how, how great it was uh, 20 years later. But uh, Kelly was probably the most important acquisition in the franchise history. But OJ had the, the most exciting story. And that just the, fa- the fact he was so famous just coming here. Uh, Greg, I'm going to segue off of that a little bit and keep on the Jim Kelly uh, story here. Now, you guys uh, in the book have a very interesting uh, transaction that happened with Kelly and the Bills in the USFL in the Bills offices uh, with with a a secretary. And maybe if you could could share that story, because I had never heard that before. And I, I, I had to read it again. I said, wow, I said that really happened. Oh yeah. No, I mean, Kelly was, uh, you know, of course he had, he had gone to the, um, you know, he, he was negotiating with the USFL um, because he wanted to increase his contract. He was trying to get more money, of course. Um, and the bills had had him into the offices and he was on the verge of signing a contract. Um, and he was in the offices of the general manager at the time. Um, this is what 1983, right after he had been drafted, shortly after he'd been drafted. And um, um, a guy from the USFL calls into the Bills' offices and asks to speak to Jim Kelly. And the secretary goes into the office and asks, uh, says, Oh, Jim, you have a you have a phone call. <laughs> and he comes out and uh I think it was Bruce Allen who basically said, or George Allen said, do not sign the contract because <laughs> we want we're gonna pay you more money. Um, and therefore, uh, you know, that was that, um, another, another interesting story related to Kelly that we were talking about at the book launch the other night that Eddie Rutkowski didn't even know. So Eddie Rutkowski was playing in a game in 1968 against the Raiders. Um, and if the bills lose the game, they end up getting the number one pick in the draft. And if they win, they don't get the number one pick. And of course the number one pick was OJ Simpson. And the Bills are trailing 13 to 10 late in the fourth quarter. And the Bills are inside the three-yard line trying to take the lead. And Rutkowski rolls out, running toward the end zone, is about ready to score. George Atkinson comes up, hits him. He fumbles at the goal line, and the Raiders recover. Um, And the Bills end up getting the number one pick. And, of course, they draft O.J. Simpson. Well, the story we told at the launch is – 
that fumble that Rodkowski did not only results in O.J. Simpson being drafted by the Bills, it ultimately results in Jim Kelly being drafted by the Bills. So Simpson plays for Buffalo, and he's traded in 1978 for a host of draft picks. And he goes on and plays in San Francisco's last two years. The Bills, with one of those draft picks, draft Tom Cousineau, the number one pick in the draft. Cousineau doesn't sign with the Bills. He goes to Montreal of the Canadian Football League. In 1982, he decides he wants to come back. Well, the Bills still own his rights. So they ultimately trade his rights to Cleveland for a first-round draft pick. That first-round draft pick was Jim Kelly was selected. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, so Eddie Rakowski texted me after the after the launch on Thursday night. And he said maybe that maybe that fumble was actually a good thing, and I can feel better about the fumble. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to break away from this interview for just a moment to uh, hear from one of our friends that has a great message to tell. But we'll be right back with some more Buffalo Bills stories from Greg and Bud. If you have ever seen a sports story on TV or online, or maybe in a newspaper, chances are once upon a time you have seen it before. Hello, I'm Dana Augusta, former sports writer and now podcaster, and I host a show called Historically Speaking Sports, where we place a historical spin on a current sports headline or take the topic that most people are talking about and compare and contrast it through the lens of sports history. In this show, we talk to researchers, authors, and other sports history connoisseurs about what fans and analysts are talking about, yet in the terms of sports history. We also do a weekly top five countdown, highlighting moments that pertain to the subject of the show or the five greatest moments in the history of sports that took place that week. And to complete the show, we send a shout out to a famous sports figure or moment in sports history that both pertains to that episode or someone who had a dramatic role in sports history or an event in history that fans just need to be reminded of. The show, Historically Speaking Sports, where we put a historical spin on sports headlines. That's Historically Speaking Sports, right here on the Sports History Network. Hey, this is Del Reed, co-founder of Bill's Mafia and founder of 26shirts.com, where behind every shirt there is a story, and you are listening to the Pigskin Dispatch. Okay, now you guys have so many great stories to pick from that uh, all professional football fans are familiar with, and uh, that's why this makes us such a great book. And me, me not being a Bills fan, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it brought back some great memories, and one was that big comeback game that the Bills had against the Houston Oilers. And you guys sort of segue into that story by uh, alluding to, you know, many people or you ask if people were one of the the many that uh, had left the stadium and tried to get back in. Now, Bud, if you could maybe tell us about that, if, if you if you yourself or some people maybe you knew that had left and tried to get back in, what, what kind of a phenomenon was that uh, well, but, actually, you know. I was covering that game, Darren, uh, for, for, the, for the Associated Press. And um, basically, the Oilers jumped out way ahead in the first half, and um, the game looked over. In fact, there were a couple of um, Houston TV reporters that were there for the cover the Oilers' side of the story. And at halftime, they made non-refundable airfares 
to Pittsburgh the next week because they were so sure Houston was going to go to, to play in Pittsburgh next week in the next round of the playoffs. And so the comeback starts eventually in the third quarter and, and, and the bills keep scoring and scoring. And we don't have any idea that people had left the game at halftime and then listened on the radio and said, Oh my goodness, uh, we've got to get back in there. But the gates were still closed and people were literally climbing the uh, wire fence outside the stadium, trying to get back in. I think and Greg might remember this better than I would. Did Polian finally just say, let him in after a while. Yes. Okay. Yes, so they the, opened the I think gates he's afraid of people getting hurt. They were, yeah, they were afraid people would get hurt. Yeah. So I'm watching as the as the Bills keep scoring and getting closer and closer. And and the guy next to me was a, a gentleman named Val Pinchbeck, who was the NFL observer, uh, Syracuse former sports information director and a real class guy. And I uh, always enjoyed sitting with, with him for games. The second half as the Bills scored, we just giggled because it was so outlandish. I mean, Jim Kelly's hurt. Thurman Thomas is hurt. And they're coming back, you know, from 20 – seven points or whatever the number was. It was just remarkable to watch. And of course the bills wound up winning in overtime 41 38. And it was just amazing. And and the one other thing I remember is that all season I had been assigned to the visiting locker room at uh, games at the stadium for the associated press to get quotes. And usually the team teams come into Buffalo in that era and lost, as you can imagine, because they were a great team with four straight Super Bowl appearances. And as the minutes wound down, I'm thinking to myself, I do not want to go in the Houston locker room and try to talk to these guys after they <laughs> blow this lead. And suddenly the boss at the time, Jay Bonfatti goes, all right, but I think we'll need extra help in the Bills locker room. So you get quotes in there. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> I don't have to ask Warren Moon what went wrong. You had two miracles happen that day then, right? <laughs> yes. I was very appreciative. And uh, mm. of course, Frank Reich came out and uh, read a biblical uh, passage about how all things were possible. And he said, I'm going to sit here and, and answer questions for the next three days if necessary. He was pretty happy about it all. I'll bet. I, I know as a fan watching the game on TV, of course, I really didn't want Houston to win. They were a division rival and I, uh, you know, wasn't, I'm not allowed to root for a division rival at any point in time. So I was rooting for the bills to, to win it. And it was just so disappointing. I think I turned it off at like just before the half. And for some reason I turned it back on. It was like the beginning of the fourth quarter. I'm like, Oh my God, what happened here? They're, they're coming back in this game. So it was a great, great game to watch. And uh, even the parts I missed, I guess. Now, Greg, a question for you, and I'm going to I'm going to address it to both of you, but first to Greg. Now, with all this great Buffalo Bills history, maybe you could name the, what you, maybe your favorite high point of the Bills history is, and maybe what the 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 worst low point, the most dismal point uh, of being a Bills fan is. Yeah, I mean those are those are actually easy because um, the the high point you know, it has to be the AFC championship game at, at the end of the 1990 season when, you know, we beat the Raiders 51 to three and to go to our first Super Bowl and we were ahead 41 to three at halftime. And so the second half was nothing but a party in the stands because it's like, we know we're going to the Super Bowl. There was no stress. It wasn't, Oh my God, you know, are we going to lose the game? I mean, it was just nothing but a party in the second half. Um, so that was kind of a great, um, you know, probably the greatest moment in Bill's history to this point, if you really think of, you know, going to the first Super Bowl, um, and, and that team was so good, um, as, as well. 
Um, for me, the, the, the low point or the, uh, the, and, and, you know, there's a lot of low points in, in Bill's history, but for a game, um, it would certainly have to be home run throwback um, and, or the music city miracle, whatever you want to call it. And the, the reason for me is more personal. I was at the game in Tennessee um, and, you know, I was not a Rob Johnson fan. I was a Flutie fan. I thought Flutie should have started. I, I don't think the game would have been close if he had. Um, but here you put your statuesque quarterback in against what probably had the best rush in the league. And it just made no sense. But but Rob Johnson, you know, drives him down and they get a field goal to go ahead. And the Tennessee fans are congratulating me. All these fans are, oh, congratulations, you won. We wish you luck. We hope you go to the Super Bowl. And then, you know, 20 seconds later, <laughs> they're then they're, they're then feeling sorry for me. <laughs> so talking about a swing of emotion. Um, and, and, of course, you know, Tennessee goes all the way to the Super Bowl that year and, you know, is what, a yard away from, you know, at least tying the game at the end. Um, and, you know, we, we had – the, the next game was the Colts who had, we had beaten the year, you know, the, a couple of weeks before by 30 points. And so it's like, and then, and then, you know, the other part that's hard is that was the end of an era. Um, you know, that off season, Thurman Thomas, Andre Reed and Bruce Smith all get cut. Um, so that really ended the era. Um, and, and then we go 17 years without making the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> Now, but uh, same question to you. Do you have the same uh, choices that uh, Greg had, or do you have? Uh... I, I I'll I certainly agree with him on the fifty-one to three game, Darren. And I was in the stands for that game, and uh, I remember at halftime going into the restroom and and a loud voice saying, "I thought the Raiders and thirty-four points was a good bet, but I'm already losing because it's forty-one to three and got a big laugh by the the people in there. Uh, the downside, it's funny. Uh, I've got a book coming out soon on this day in Cleveland sports history uh, called Game Day, Cheap Plug. And uh, the Browns have had their one-phrase losses kind of memorialize the drive, the fumble, things like that. In Buffalo, we had home run throwback. We had uh, uh, wide right, and we also had 13 seconds. And the last one uh, was against the Chiefs a couple years ago in the playoffs. And the games that really just kill you are the ones you think you've won. And you still manage to lose. And and the Chiefs game a couple of years ago, and the game with with Tennessee uh, some years ago, uh, probably fit into that category is just the most devastating. It's just to sit you sit there and you're thinking, oh, 13 seconds, 80 yards. There's no way the Chiefs can can get down and kick the tying field goal. And one thing leads to another, and they do, and then march down the field in no time and and get the overtime win. And the the entire town was just like. Uh, you know, and, and now at this point, you start to wonder, was that the closing of the window for the bills and this bunch to go to the Super Bowl for, for whatever reason, uh, if they can bounce back, great. If they can't, we might look back at that and saying that was their chance to get to the Super Bowl and they let it slip away. And, and, and that's one of the fun things that, uh, history does for analyzing a team like this. And I'm sure, Greg knows this just as well. We're old enough to remember the trends that you see over the years, and you can point to a moment and say, all right, well, that's where things started to fall apart, or that's where the team started to get good. Uh, that's kind of the fun for us to look back and and put things in perspective. 
Yeah, I think uh, and this ties into one of Greg's previous books with the sports curse. Uh, I don't <laughs> think you can say any other team has had as many uh, big uh, gut punches as the Bills have. I, I can't think of another team that's had uh, you know those three games that you just talked about—the 13 seconds, the uh, the home run throwback, or you know, Music City Miracle, and that wide right. Those are got to be three of the biggest you know gut punches of in NFL history. They're, they're probably making a top ten, and. Uh, <laughs> So I, I figured those were going to be coming up here. So I'm surprised, though, that the uh, the one down in uh, Tennessee was the, the top one for you, Greg. I, I figured one of the other two might be because they're maybe uh, a little bit hit home a little bit harder. But the- well, you know, it's, but but it's interesting, and 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 thirty and thirteen seconds will um, will live in infamy if the Bills don't get over the hump. But I think both in thirteen seconds and in wide right. When those games ended, you were devastated, but the teams were still on the upswing, or at least that was the perception. Like when we lost Super Bowl twenty five, we were we were going back to another Super Bowl. There was no question that team was going to go back again. Maybe it wasn't the next year, but they were getting back. They were they were too good not to. And I think um, I felt the same way about thirteen seconds. It's like okay, yep, we should have won. It was devastating, but we're the best team in the NFL. And we should be coming back last year. And of course, you know, if you want to play the curse out with all the things that happened to the team last year, um, I mean, you know, I think the reason the Bills lost to the Bengals, they just ran out of gas. I mean, that was such an emotional roller coaster with the winter storms and DeMar Hamlin, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the the 13 seconds becomes bigger and bigger if we don't get back. Like Bud, Bud said, if that's the end of this run, that may become the biggest loss in Bill's history um, because I, I there's no question in my mind that team wins the Super Bowl that year that 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 they were just they were they them and the Chiefs were the best team by far. Yeah, um, I definitely agree with you there. I mean, I think of all three of those, you know, the the wide right was a, a moment as as a non Bills fan where you say, "Oh my God, he just missed that," you know. But great, great game. The you know the Darren, the- let me just jump in on that. Oh, sure. Go ahead. One thing about wide right was, and we tried to make the point in the book, the the Bills really asked him to do something beyond his physical capabilities, kick a 47-yard field goal on grass. I uh, hadn't done that all year, and I was watching the game in Buffalo, and, and when he lined up for it, another sportscaster and I were watching the game, and we both said too far. And he wound up putting a lot of effort and got the ball to the to the goalpost, but it was just wide right by a couple feet. But really, the the, the Bills' problems in that game were—I thought they were really outcoached, and they, the Giants shouldn't have been on the field with them because the the Bills were an absolute powerhouse that year and and playing so well. And uh, Belichick and and Parcells came up with a great game plan. So, but this, they came close, but just couldn't finish it. But um, I think that's a little different than than having the victory in your hands as opposed to the possibility a possibility for it and then having that victory snatched away. No, fair enough. But the point I was making, you, you have a, you know, as a fan of just a football fan looking at it, we had, you know, it's just, it's just that one moment, that one play in each of those games in, in Memphis and, and uh, or, I'm sorry. Yeah. Was that Memphis? They played a game or Nashville. they play Nashville, Nashville. Okay. In Nashville and, and in the Super Bowl. but the 13 seconds game, 
I think I said, oh my God, this team's going to win it. Kansas City's going to win it. Look what just happened. Oh no, Buffalo's going to win it. Look what just happened. I mean, th- that last two minutes has to be the greatest two minutes in football history. I, it was, as a, a fan, whether you won, lost, or were indifferent to the game, that was a great ball game of two teams that really wanted it and uh, did everything they could. And they, they were both spent at the end of that game. It, it was the best game I've ever watched, I think, in my life. That was, that was fantastic. My wife said on four different occasions, too much time left. Really? <laughs> at the end of the and game, my, someone scored too mistake. much time. And my mistake was with 13 seconds left after we scored the touchdown, I turned to my wife and I said, oh, my God, we're going to win this game. <laughs> <laughs> so I jinxed us. Oh, this... Your fault, Greg. Wow. Right. Well, gentlemen, you definitely, you captured the highs, you captured the lows, you, you have some great football history, some great Buffalo Bills history. This is a, an excellent book uh, for any football fan to to have in their collection and, and read and enjoy. And uh, Greg, maybe you could uh, take us on and help folks can get a copy of the book. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the book is pretty much available anywhere. So it's available on Amazon. It's available on barnesandnoble.com. It's available in all the Barnes and Noble stores in Western New York. Uh, it's available at the History Museum, as well as many of the local bookstores uh, in Western New York as well. Um, and in fact, one of the things we're quite proud of on Amazon, it is currently rated the top release of new sports history books. Um, it's number one on Amazon in awesome. that category. Excellent. Uh, Bud, do you have any final words you'd like to, to say? Yeah, we we should, Greg. We should met, throw a bone to the publisher, Reedy Press, who is selling the. We'll sell you a copy of the book directly as well. Uh, but if you just do a search engine, you'll find plenty of outlets. Uh, I think it's fair to say, uh, Greg and I have both been more than pleased by the reception to this book. Maybe a little surprised and a little overwhelmed because uh, people have just loved it and you know want to buy extra copies and people that don't. I don't usually associate with football like some of my wife's friends are buying like two and three copies as gifts. Uh, the power of the bills uh, is obvious in Western New York. You can go to the malls and most of the stores which are having trouble like every mall uh, are just filled with bills merchandise just to get people into the stores. And to to see it personal on a personal basis, to see that enthusiasm carry over because people just are so enthusiastic about the bills right now. It's been rewarding and fascinating to watch uh, from close range. Uh, Gentlemen, you did a great job on the book. The publisher did a great job with coming up with the concept. You guys executed it uh, flawlessly. I I loved it. I think everybody has their hands on it is loving it. And folks, you want to get a copy of this. So guys, thanks for sharing uh, with the book with us today. And thanks for writing it and preserving that football history. And you're both welcome. I know you both got other projects uh, going on in the the football realm here in the sports realm. So you're both more than welcome on your your future projects that are coming on and and talking about those as well. And gentlemen, I want to thank you for, for tonight. Great. Thank you. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. 
we invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.